friend Alan in, in the back there. And Alan, the Lord said these words to me in regards to you. He said, if you think that it's been amazing in the short time that you've known him, he said, you haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> he said, stay close to his heart and you'll see the desires of your heart fulfilled. And that just shows us how amazing the Lord is to us. Amen. He is amazing. The Bible says that he's above, he can do above all that we can ask or think, exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Amen. And the church has lived far below that, all of its existence. We have yet to find what it really means to live uh, where the Lord provides for us, exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think as a whole. Amen. I'm sure folks, individuals have found that on occasion. But the church as a whole needs to know what it's like to live uh, with the Lord. And he provides for us exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And I don't know about you, but I can ask or think about some pretty big things. The Lord said, it's embarrassing how far that is from how he, what he could do for us. Amen. So praise God. Well, let's thank the Lord for his word. Amen. We'll get into the word today. And um, uh, welcome to Healing School, of course, right? And um, we have started uh, discussing uh, the book, Dr. T.J. McCawson's book called Bodily Healing and Atonement. And, uh, of course, he was a great uh, Hebrew and Greek scholar in his days. And, of course, I always think a lot of folks who take the time and have the aptitude to learn uh, languages uh, and um, study other languages. You know, I took French when I was in high school because my last name is French. And, you know, almost a lot to take the French language. You know, most people took Spanish or whatever. I took French. I took two years of French. And, um, you know, I could say, you know, like, words like three or four words you know sometimes in a row and um and it just never stuck with me you know i mean i've been to france probably 20 or 30 times over the years you know and in the day when i was going there on a regular basis i could say things like my most common phrase was i don't understand you know je ne sais pas and so and so uh you know and so it's uh, uh but um, and that wasn't even correct you know it's uh uh, I'd have to go through it, but anyway, so my, my uh, parents, were, of course, were French-Canadian, speak fluent French, and uh, I'm the youngest of 11, and so they were teaching the oldest ones how to speak French when they were, as they would grow up, you know, and so they could grow up and be able to speak French, and, um, but somewhere along the way, they realized that it was a strategic advantage to not teach us French, so that he can speak French in front of us, and we were like, we got nothing, we don't know what they're saying. So they would conspire against us in front of us because we didn't know what they were saying. And so, you know, we're going to beat them or we're going to go eat chocolate cake when they get to bed, you know. And so we didn't know what they were doing. And so, um, and Canadian French is, is slightly different, but for the most part, the same as, as uh, uh, traditional French from uh, France there. And so, um, but uh, I'm just, I, I'm impressed with people who, some people have the aptitude to be able to do that, pick up foreign languages and do that. You think about all the people that aren't born in the United States, they pick up foreign languages every day, right? It's amazing. So you just have to think about that one for a minute. But, uh, um, but there was a, a fellow that uh, Brother Hagen liked really well. His name was uh, Dr. P.C. Nelson. And he could, uh, someone asked him, you know, how many uh, languages did he know? And he said, not any yet. Uh, and he said, well, how many can you read and write fluently? And he said, 32. You know, I don't even know there's 32 languages, you know, much less, uh, uh, I know there are, but, uh, but that's a lot, right? Of course, you know, if, you're, if you have that aptitude, you know, once you learn one language, a lot of times, especially, you know, groups of languages like European languages, a lot of them are similar languages, and you can pick that up. I'm not trying to diminish their skill and ability in that, uh, but they, get, they, they learn the tricks and how to absorb that type of information. Uh, and the Lord has given uh, people that special ability to do that, I know. Uh, and, of course, a lot of folks, even in Europe, uh, if you meet most Europeans, most of them speak multiple languages anyway. You know, they almost all speak English uh, beyond their natural language. But, uh, you know, most of the folks that I work with when I was uh, in, that, in that area, uh, the Europeans would know typically three languages. You know, they'd know English uh, with their native language, typically German or French, and they would learn to, like Spanish or Italian along with it, many of the European languages. And so... Uh, then you go to across the world, and, and um, there's all kinds of languages that people speak. And uh, English is probably still the most common language around the world. Um, and so, 
I'm glad the Lord put me in, in an English-speaking world. I don't, I don't know if I could handle all the other languages, right? So anyway, we're thankful for the Lord. Uh, and so Greek and Hebrew scholar to know the word of God. Amen. Uh, no, that was a different one. That was Thomas Nelson. Uh, that might have been P.C. Nelson's uh, younger brother. I don't know. But uh, um, but no, he... Uh, um, He's been, he's been gone a long time, and, and he doesn't have a whole lot of writings. I've tried to find some writings from P.C. Nelson, uh, but he was, uh, like many of the folks, in fact, uh, T.J. McCrossin was the same. They started in the denominational church, and, you know, uh, the thing about um, a lot of people is they start seeking God, uh, even in the denominational churches, and want more of God, and he almost always will lead them into a full gospel church because they want more of God. They want more faith. They want more uh, belief. They want more uh, power in their life, and uh, and he has to get them out of uh, out of places that teach doubt and unbelief. Amen. Uh, and of course, T.J. McCarson was that way. He started out in, in a denominational church and got baptized with the Holy Spirit, spoke with other tongues, and then uh, he got into the Pentecostal world. And um, of course, after he did that, then a lot of times they forsake you right from the from where you came from because uh, you've gone over to the dark side. Apparently, you know, uh, and so. Um, which is funny because if you get spirit-filled, you tend to live better than people who are not, amen? Uh, and so you start speaking in tongues and, and um, the Lord tells you more things. So anyway, it's, uh, it's a good, good way to live. Uh, and of course, we know around here uh, uh, <clears throat> how many people did the Lord intend to be Pentecostal when he, when he set up the uh, move of God in Acts chapter 2? The whole church, right? He never intended it to be a denomination or a separate part of the church. He meant, just like he meant the entire church to get saved. And, and about 90% of the church believes you should be saved. You've got about 10% who who not sure, you know. I don't know if it's that much or not, but you do have a certain percentage of the church who's not sure that, that, that you can be sure that you can be saved, which seems odd because he, said, he literally said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. saved. And so I don't know how you can just... Well, I've called upon the name of the Lord. Well, are you saved? I don't know. Well, he said you could be. Well, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's things like that that are odd. Uh, but he always intended it uh, for uh, all the church to get saved, but then he also intended all the church to receive the second work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, he, and he never intended it to be only a small uh, kind of crazy fraction, fa- faction of the church, right? Uh, but... Um, so we finished up uh, the first section of the book, and the book's not really in, in chapters like a lot of books. Uh, he has divisions and different things, and so we're actually um, in the book. It's division one because he really wrote it more as a paper as opposed to a, a, a book here. Uh, but this uh, this uh, section of the book, he entitles it Six Great Biblical Reasons Why All Christians Should Take Christ as the Healer of Their Bodies. So is it limited to certain Christians? No, it's all Christians should take Christ as the healer of their bodies. Uh, and so he, then he goes through here and gives us biblical reasons. And so it's not just him sitting around and just writing his ideas. You know, he, he uh, has searched the scriptures and then uh, kind of uh, outlined and summarized some of the uh, ideas that he found from the Word of God, and he put that in the book. So, and that's the book that I like the best. I like the books that... Well, here's what the Word says, and here's why this is true. Uh, a lot of books tend to be uh, more just like uh, people's ideas or philosophies about how the Lord works. And, you know, sometimes that's okay. Uh, and we really saw that, I think, a lot more even with Dr. Yeoman's books about her experiences and things she observed um, than just book, chapter, and verse. And so I think we can find a balance there, but I, I tend to prefer books that are written from, from the Word of God and then uh, give us the revelation of what the Lord has given to them related to the word. Uh, and so he starts out here with reason number one is that God used to heal the sick, uh, and he is an unchangeable God. So that's a pretty good reason why uh, we should uh, receive healing, because if he, if he ever healed the sick, then, and, and if he's unchangeable, then he's still healing the sick. Uh, and, so, uh, and so then he goes through some scriptures about... Um, that he was a healer. And so he started out with the famous scripture here in Exodus 15, 26, uh, which says, uh, and if thou, uh, of course, it's old covenant, right? And said, if thou will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight, will give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, 
I will put none, or really, uh, if you go back and look and research that, it, it really means, I will allow none of the diseases to be upon thee, which I have brought or allowed to be brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Uh, and of course, we know the original Hebrew of that, where it says, Lord that healeth thee, that is, uh, in the Hebrew, that's Jehovah Rapha. And of course, uh, uh, we have taught over the years about Jehovah Rapha and the seven covenant names of the Lord that he called himself Jehovah something, right? Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shalom, uh, different uh, uh, compound words that he used to describe himself. This is one of them. Uh, he says, I am uh, the Lord that healeth thee. And of course, you can look up uh, that uh, uh, verse in multiple translations and different translations will talk about, I'm the Lord that healeth thee, or I'm, I'm the Lord your physician, I'm the Lord your surgeon. So that word healeth thee is a big word in the Old Covenant. That, that word healeth thee is Rapha, and that's a big word, right? So it's all-encompassing from a medical standpoint, that he will take care of you and be your physician, be your healer, be your surgeon. Uh, and, uh, and that's what he declared, that this is who I am. It's not what I do, it's who I am. Uh, and then in the, same, in the same book, Exodus 23, 25, it says, And you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. So uh, will he bless your, uh, bless your bread? That's what he says, right? Uh, and that's, that's one reason why we, when we uh, say grace or we say we're going to bless the food, why do we do that? Because he said he would bless it. And if he blesses it, then, then he will take sickness away from the midst of that food. Amen? So should you ever be afraid of food? You know, some Christians are afraid. Where did that come from? Who touched it? Uh, is it clean? Is it, uh, is it? Well, you know, a lot of Christians even today are, are fearful of their food. You know, uh, of course, you don't do it just out of mental assent. You do it by faith that, Lord, it doesn't matter what I eat. It's, it's, uh, you have taken sickness from the midst of that food. Amen? Uh, and so... You should never be afraid of your food uh, as long as you're walking by faith. Amen. We don't walk by presumption. We just don't hope for the best. We believe that the Lord blesses our bread and our water. Amen. Uh, you talk about water. You know, I don't drink city water. You know, it's got uh, fluorine and chlorine and they got uh, chemicals to control you and, you know, uh, to uh, sterilize you and uh, or to make you have alien babies or, you know, whatever the conspiracy theories are of the day. I, I don't think, you know. You drink tap water? Well, yeah. Well, why do you drink tap water? Because you just flip the tap and it, magic water comes out of it, right? Uh, you know, I would never drink tap water. I don't care. You know, uh, He said he'd bless my, fruit and my, my bread and my water. Is that limited to only well water? Can he not bless the water no matter the source? I mean, that's what it says, right? How many times in the Old Covenant when they came up to water, it, it, it was poisoned. And one time, uh, you know, they threw a, a, a branch of hyssop, I think, a tree in there, cleansed the water. You know, other times they, they would speak to it, throw something else in there, uh, and, and it would become pure. Well, we can do that by faith today, can't we? Amen. Amen. Uh, and so you do whatever you drink, whatever you want to. I mean, some people, you know, we get some ministers, you know, they need to have filtered water from the springs of Italy before they can preach. You know, I don't care. If you like filtered water from the springs of Italy, that's fine, you know. I mean, to me, water's water, but, you know, we, we tested, Jared's a big, like, he's a connoisseur of water, right? And so he's like, you can't tell. It's like, yeah, you can. And so we gave, like, you know, generic, okay, which one of the three are the best ones, right? He'd taste them all, like, yeah, that's one. And he was right. It's the one he always liked. That's the one I like. Well, that's fine if you just have a preference of water. That's fine, right? I have a preference of things I drink. You know, I like to drink orange juice. I'm a big fan of orange but a lot of people, I don't like orange juice, you know? Fine, I don't care. You know, just drink whatever you want to, right? Uh, and, you know, I offered somebody, a, hey, do you want to die of coke one time? And they were almost upset at me. I don't put that poison in my body. Fine, I don't care. Drink whatever you want to. I could care less, right? But people will fight you over things. You know, I don't drink tap water. I, you know, whatever. Uh, he said right here that he would bless our bread and our water. Is that what he said? Does he put a restriction on that? Does he put as long as it's sourced from a certain spring or a certain uh, stream or a certain pond or whatever, right? Uh, uh, you know, Brother Randy always talked about when he was fishing when he was growing up, uh, he, he would be thirsty and they would take his, the, the, the worm bucket. You remember the little worm styrofoam uh, buckets, you know, you get a, uh, and it, it, he'd dump out the worms on a seat because you wouldn't want to throw them away, right? You'd dump out the worms in the, in the, the, uh, the dirt on the seat and he'd wash it out in a river, in the, in the river that they were fishing in 
and then he'd get a, a cup of water and drink it. Now, see, that to me, that's just disgusting, right? You ever seen river water? I mean, it's disgusting, right? I wouldn't do that just not because I'm afraid of it, because it's disgusting, right? I'm not in fear of just like, it's gross. Right? You, ever, you ever been in a, uh, I'm, when we used to, uh, when it was a kid's, we'd, during the summertime, you know, we'd eat breakfast and mom would say, leave the house. And I don't see you again until it's, you know, supper time, right? No, you skip lunch. We didn't eat lunch, right? And, and so, you skip, so you just went over hill, over dale. We'd hike through farms, you know. We'd find a pond. We'd take all our clothes off and go swim in a pond. You ever seen what cows do in ponds? I mean, it's disgusting, right? It's, it's amazing. Any of, any of us survived as children, all the botulism that was probably in those ponds, you know, and all the stuff. Uh, but the Lord allowed us to survive anyway, didn't he? Now, I didn't drink the water. I mean, there's no way I'd drink pond water. I mean, you can't, you can't even see uh, uh, six inches into the pond, right? I mean, it's all muddy. And, uh, of course, it might not just be mud. It might be other things, too, there. But, um, uh, and so, uh, but I'm always amazed when people will be so adamant about certain things. And yet the Word of God is clear, especially like water, right? Oh, I just got to. And yet the Lord, didn't he say that he would bless our bread and our water? Well, I'm not going to tempt the Lord. I'm not tempting him either. Uh, if you give me a, a glass of water that says it's got poison in it, I'm like, well, yeah, let me have it. Well, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I'm also not going to have conspiracy theories about, well, they're putting these chemicals to control you. You're not going to control me. I have the Spirit of God on the inside of me. Amen? Uh, and I'm not sure I'm not going to birth an alien, right? I mean, you know, that's not even uh, my responsibility to birth anything. But is that what it says? That he would bless our bread and our water? Then can we not live this way? Where's that bread been? I don't care. You know? I mean, is it... Because uh, if we get in fear about everything, then we're fearful about everything, right? Uh, and so I just eat whatever I want to eat. I drink whatever I want to drink. Uh, and if the Lord tells me to change that, then I'll be glad to do that, right? I mean, he, over the times he said, well, you need to drink more water. And okay, fine, you know. Um, and, and so, and, and other times, you know, if I just, if I want a soft drink or I want, you know, orange juice, you know, I mean, I'm about the only one that drinks orange juice at my house. But I've always liked orange juice, you know. Now, grape juice, that's disgusting, right? I don't know why people eat stuff, drink like that. Uh, but um, I like an apple juice, you know, and a lot of uh, fruit juices and things. But I don't have to have it, right? I don't go somewhere, well, I need to have fresh squeezed something, right? Now, I prefer the, the fresh squeezed orange juice. I don't like the stuff from concentrate. But who cares, right? You know, I only drink, you know, I don't have to have it, though. I prefer it because I think it tastes better. But it's not like I, anybody owes me anything like that, amen? So... Uh, uh, that, and that's why I like the word of God, because when he says, I will bless thy bread and thy water, is there any restrictions on that? Is, is, uh, if we want to live some other way, the only way we can do that is, well, I have to have this. See, to me, that overrides the word of God. It says that the word of God is not sufficient to cover that scenario of drinking tap water, right? Uh, and so, and look, I know uh, there have been times, and especially when we go overseas, uh, they put a lot of weird stuff in front of you. I went to, just in France one time, I was there on a business trip, and me and the fellow went out to eat, and, and he thought he was going to really uh, bless me, so he took me to a seafood restaurant because we were on the west coast of France. Uh, and so they brought out this, this big platter. Remember, you go to seafood, right? They bring out a big platter of ice, and they got all this uh, seafood on top of the ice there, right? And they do it that way because it's not cooked. Uh, and they say, like, it's smoked salmon. It's a lie. It's not really smoked. I think maybe the guy who was cooking it was, smoked, was smoking or something. But it's just raw fish, right? It's just raw fish. And so it had like raw fish and these things like langoustines, which are basically, you know, uh, uh, sea roaches uh, and uh, just stuff like that. And, all kind of, and you're just murdering this stuff as you're eating it. You've got to rip the head off, right? right? And then open it up. And, uh, and he's just loving it, right? And so uh, now it, uh, I wasn't concerned that it was going to be poisonous because he blesses my fruit, bread and water but it was disgusting, right? And so, see, that's a difference. It's different between I'm afraid of it than I just don't like it, amen? Uh, and so I wasn't a big fan of it, but I just choke it down, you know, just to be uh, nice to him because he was being gracious to me. Uh, but I've been to Africa lots of times and they put just, uh, you know, just nasty food in front of you sometimes because that's all they've got. They, they don't have any ability to bless you in any other way with, with uh, and not that we were looking for things because we go there uh, just to be a blessing to the people that we serve. Uh, but all they can do is, is feed you. But they may feed you something that's been hanging in a tree for three or four days. You know, and you come up and, and you get out of the car and you could smell it from where it was hanging in a tree. And they're cooking that for you. Uh, and, you and you pray and the Lord grants you mercy of, oh, yeah, sorry, we couldn't get it cooked in time. It's okay if you 
eat like rice or something instead. Uh, yeah, that'll be fine. You know, we're, we're fine with just eating rice. Uh, and so, but, you know, if, if it turned out where they really wanted us to eat that, I would have eaten it. Uh, and, and so, you know, uh, if the Lord says he would do these things, then I have confidence that he said, if he said he would do it, then I believe that he'll do it. Amen. Yeah. And so he, he promised this promise thousands of years ago. I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. So should we do anything out of fear? Now, again, if the Lord says don't eat that, then it's okay not to eat it, right? Because if he says don't eat it, well, then, then, then that's fine, amen? And sometimes he may. The Spirit of God may tell you not to eat that uh, for whatever reason, right? Maybe it just doesn't agree with you. Uh, and and the, it doesn't really matter what the reason is because he may do it just to tell you. I know he told my pastor one time, uh, he said quit eating specifically uh, uh, food from Wendy's. And which just seems odd, right? Is the Lord against Wendy's? Well, no, the Lord is against us uh, going beyond moderation. And he could walk in the Wendy's restaurant and they would see him. And they say, oh, we need a number one combo with fries and, and cheese on it, right? I mean, when you go, when you go to a fast food restaurant enough where they, where they know exactly what you want to eat, well, then you might be going there too much, right? And so uh, now I, there is a, a sandwich shop in town. When I walk in, they all say, hey, Chip, you know, how's it going? Uh, but they've also got 20 things on it. They never know what I'm going to order, right? Uh, and so, and it's just a sandwich food, so it's not, not a big deal. But, but he, was, he was out of order in that, and the Lord was trying to bring him back into moderation uh, to stop doing that. Because when I first met my pastor, he would drink like three, four, five, two-liter uh, bottles of soda every day. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of anything, right? I mean, you think about it, just, if you had to drink that much water a day, I mean, that's a lot of water, right? Because they say, you know, you're supposed to eat or drink, what, eight, eight, eight ounces of water, a day, 64 ounces of water. That's, uh, what, two two liters or so, roughly equivalent to that? Maybe one two liter, I don't know. I'm not up on my um, volumetric measurements there. But it's not more than two. Uh, and I think it's one, isn't it, Jared? What's a two liter? How many uh, uh, ounces of, is a two liter, roughly? Do the math and let me know. Uh, and so... Whatever it is, right? Uh, and so, what's that? 66 is a two liter? Okay, so it's one two liter. Well, he was drinking three, four, five of these a day. Uh, and I went out to help him uh, work on, on a playground one time. And uh, his wife brought me a, a, a drink, a, a glass of drink. She brought him a two liter. Uh, here's yours, you know. Two liter with a really long straw. And of course, well, he was really pouring it into the drink. But, but the two liter was for him. And the cup of drink was for me. Well, see, that's probably out of moderation because you can actually hurt yourself if you drink too much water because if you drink too much water, it actually will dilute your, uh, your, your blood and, and minimize your ability to, to uh, carry oxygen to your body. And people have actually been harmed and even died from drinking too much water, which seems weird, but it is possible, right? So anything that's, that's extreme is out of, out of order from the Lord. Amen. Uh, you know, uh, you remember back in the day when, when they told us that vitamins do, would do everything in the, in the world for you. Uh, and now after 20 or 30 years of, of research, they basically found, unless you have a specific uh, problem in your body, that for an average healthy person, vitamins really don't do anything because your body is not made to take vitamins that way. You, if you take, I don't care, you take a vitamin, I don't care. You know, do whatever you want to, right? But that's what the research said. Uh, but, but back in the day, I, I know people would take, well, if, if 100% vitamin, uh, allowance for a day is good, then a thousand would be even better. And I know a friend of mine who went to the hospital because they were taking these mega vitamins, right? A handful of vitamins, not one, but a whole handful of these mega vitamins, you know, thousand percent vitamin C, thousand percent vitamin D, thousand percent vitamin E, all these different things, and nearly killed their liver because your liver has to filter out the excess of that. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're so bad as humans to be excessive in the things that we do. And if we would live in moderation like the Lord instructs us, uh, much of our problems would be taken care of, amen? Uh, and a lot of people that, that struggle with uh, being, you know, morbidly obese, you go in and they'll, they'll eat, you know, six double cheeseburgers in one meal, you know, and, I, and I'm not kidding. I've seen people that do that. Uh, they'll order, uh, you know, the, the meal and then they'll supersize it and they'll double size the supersize uh, and, and, um, and, and they have lost control of their, bod of their body, right? Their body runs their life. And they struggle with that, and there's deliverance in that area, no doubt, from the Lord. But did he say that he would take sickness away from the midst of thee? Yes. Did he say that he would bless our, our bread and water? Yes. Has he changed? No. Has he decided to stop blessing our bread and water? No. If he has not decided to stop uh, 
blessing our bread and water, then he has, he has not decided to, to stop taking sickness away from the midst of us. And so he's ever done it. If he's ever done it, he's still doing it. Amen. Uh, you know, for the old covenant, of course, this is old covenant here. We know that, that uh, we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. And, and of course, it's not just in Deuteronomy 28, but it's a good summary. Uh, if you go to Deuteronomy 28, it starts out with all the blessings of the law. And the last half of it is all the curses of the law. Uh, and, uh, of course, the New Testament says we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. But, you know, it never says we've been redeemed from the blessings of the law. So if there's an Old Testament blessing that you see just like this is an Old Testament blessing, right? It's a good thing. Then this still belongs to us because we've never been redeemed from this. These still belong to us because we're, aren't we children of Abraham? Yes. This is the covenant of Abraham. Uh, and so uh, these things are still applicable to us today. And yet wars are fought in the church. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't belong to us today. Well, when did it stop? Uh, it didn't stop. Uh, and and uh, he said, let's turn over to Psalm 103. We'll look at that in a little bit more detail. So Psalm 103, it says, let's just, well, let's just start in verse 1. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Well, that's a good way to start. Anytime you come to the Lord, it's a good way to start by, by uh, blessing him, worshiping him. Amen. Uh, there's, uh, there's no request in this part of the verse. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not how many of his benefits? All or any of his benefits. So does the Lord have benefits? He does, right? Uh, and have we forgotten any of them? Well, we have. You know, it was, uh, I mean, until the Pentecostal church came back to life, you know, I mean, it's always been around, but, you know, it was really the late 1800s when the Pentecostal church started uh, coming back to life like it should have been always. Uh, but even, even the Pentecostal church, uh, because, it ha- because of a lack of teaching, they kind of got into a rut of, well, God will heal you if it's his will. Uh, well, healing has always been a benefit to us, and so uh, why did we forget that? Well, it's because human nature, right, uh, is always trying to, to leave the supernatural and, and remain only in the natural realm. realm. Uh, and so he says in verse 3, though, who forgiveth how many of thine iniquities? Iniquities, there's a sin, right? Who, who forgiveth all thy iniquities or sins. So all of your iniquities. So is there anything that God won't forgive you for? No, he said, all your, all your iniquities, right? Uh, and who healeth, how many of your diseases? All. all your diseases. Now, the word healeth there is, again, the word rapha, right? Jehovah Rapha from Exodus 15, 26. This is the same Hebrew word, rapha, who healeth all your diseases. So uh, now all of a church, at least you know, all of the, really the mainstream church, whether it's Pentecostal or denominational, believes the first half of that verse, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. So every, every person who's not a Christian uh, and then becomes a Christian, how many sins are forgiven when they become a Christian? All of them, right? When you, when you, when you become a Christian and you commit an infraction or sin against the Lord, how many sins will the Lord will forgive you? All, right? And so um, every, every Christian believes that. Then how is it that every Christian doesn't believe that God also heals all of our diseases? I mean, you can't separate these two in the verse, right? Uh, and yet... Much of the church does. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can just start out with, hey, did you, did God really forgive sins? Yeah, all the sins? Yeah. Really? Are you sure about that? Yeah. Are you 100% sure of that? Yeah. Well, then does he also heal disease? No, he doesn't do that. Well, how, you can't separate these two, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, uh, when I first got saved, I always had the opinion that when you read the word, it's just, it's true. Uh, you know, it took me a long time to, to, for people to start telling me, well, it's not all true. Well, what do you mean it's not all true? It's, if it says it, you know, and I would look at it, I'm like, there's something wrong with you. Now, I'm just, you know, I'm just a teenager. I'm 16, 17 years old, and people start saying some of these things, and, I'm, and I just look at them like, you're wrong. You're, you're weird, you know, and, and, of course, you know, I, I didn't always gain friends from the adults that would say those things, and I would look at them kind of crossways, like, you know, how could that, how, how could you say that? Because I just assumed if he said that he would uh, forgive all my sins and heal all my diseases, that that's exactly and only what he meant, right? Uh, and so, but people that, that uh, uh, really are looking for ways to, to not believe God will find out reasons why this verse is not true, uh, or at least the second half of this verse is not true. Uh, and so, 
And of course, uh, then he, start, he gives us some insight because in researching for this book, he would read after other Bible teachers, and he said that these other Bible teachers would say that the psalmist here in verse 3 was only speaking of spiritual diseases. Spiritual disease. Oh, uh, is there even a such thing as a spiritual disease? Can you catch a spiritual disease? Oh, I got spiritual, you know, leprosy. What, is it, what does that mean, right? Well, that doesn't mean anything, but, but see, uh, in fact, we, we were studying, we had a Bible study one time, we were studying um, uh, Mark 11, 23 and 24, but especially Mark eleven twenty three, where it says, Whosoever say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Uh, and they said, well, that's only spiritual mountains. And someone in the Bible study said, well, that's only spiritual mountains. And I'm like, based on what information? It does it say, whosoever shall say unto this spiritual mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea? It doesn't say spiritual mountains, but see, why, why do they want to redirect the, the word of God to say it's only spiritual things? Because that way they're not guilty of being in doubt and unbelief. Because spiritual things, you can't prove that it's true or not true, right? It's in the realm of the spirit. Can you see the realm of the spirit? Can you, can you measure that, is, that, uh, that spiritual mountain was removed? Well, not really, right? And so if you kind of put it off in the realm of the spirit in the spooky world, then you can't really prove that you're in faith or not in faith. And so it's really a, a smokescreen to explain why they, they don't want to be in faith. Because if you say it's a real mountain, well, that's got to be removed. Oh, well, you know, uh, then, if it, then that makes, makes me required to be in faith before I can remove, remove a natural thing. And if, and if you're going to remove a natural disease, well, then you really have to be in faith. But if it's a spiritual disease, oh, yeah, I'm in faith. Well, how do I, how you know? Because I'm telling you I'm in faith. Well, can you, do you have any proof? Well, no. Uh, and so a lot of times people will push things in the realm of the spirit because they were trying to hide their lack of faith. Uh, and so, uh, and so uh, the Bible teachers, right? So these are, you know, people with PhDs. And they will say, they will say without anything backing up their, their statement, this is only spiritual diseases. Well, th they got no proof of that. And really they're adding and limiting the word of God. They're adding to the word of God to say it's, it's only in this area, even though it doesn't say that, but they're, they're also uh, restricting the word of God that it only is applicable in this area, but not in this area. And so when God said, I'll, I'll forgive all your sin, well, that's every sin, but uh, I'll heal all your diseases, but that's only this diseases. Well, that's, that's poor student, uh, uh, being a poor student of the word, because you're saying that this is all-encompassing, this promise, or part of the promise, is all-encompassing over here, but this part of the promise that looks exactly the same, the way it's written, all diseases, all iniquities, the all diseases is limited. The all iniquities is not limited. Well, that, that's, you're just making that up, right? It's bad logic. And, you know, it's perfectly fine to actually use your brain. Who gave you your brain? The Lord did, Right? And some people take the brain that God gave them and say, well, we're going to tweak it because it's, it, it's, 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 you know, it, it, it's wrong. And so they're going to, but then they'll, the, the bad part is they, they try to project that on you. And when you say things like, well, yeah, he'll heal all my diseases. Oh, brother, you know, if you knew better, if you, if you were smart like me, I hope I am never that smart. Uh, I am smarter even than God himself. Because clearly he didn't mean to be so loving and kind that he would heal all of our diseases. There's no way he would ever do that. Uh, but he would take care of your spiritual diseases, which if you're born again, how many spiritual diseases are, are, do you even have to deal with? None. If you're born again, there are, in fact, there's really no such thing as a, what is, it, what, is, what, is, what is a spiritual disease anyway? It's not anything, right? There's no such thing. You never see any example in the word of God where, where a spiritual disease was healed, Right? Uh, and so, uh, so they say things like that, but it's a smokescreen, right? It's to, it's to hide the, the requirement to be in faith. And so, uh, so those so-called Bible teachers say this is only talking about spiritual diseases, uh, and, and they use that. Uh, and, and, and I have read this logic a bunch of times, but it's so convoluted. It's still, it's like, because he, he explains some of the logic they use, and I think this is just, you've got to be really smart to be this dumb. Uh, and so he, they read, they read, they'll tell you that the reason why verse 3 is only talking about spiritual diseases is because of verse 4. The verse 4 says, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. 
And so when I, when I read verse 4, I see that he redeems my life from destruction. So what does he redeem my life from? Anything that's bad, any kind of destruction, right? Warfare, doom, you know, explosions, destructions, right? Car accidents, you know, landmines, everything, right? Red lights, everything, right? Uh, and so I add the red light there because it's not really destruction. But, uh, but uh, and then he quotes, some again, some of these Bible scholars, uh, and they'll say that present time, so I, so, so I wrote some of these things because part of the book is to, to, to explain to us and show us what excuses people use uh, for not believing that God still wants to heal us. Uh, and so that's part of it. And, and, you know, in fact, when I first started healing school back in 2015, see, I, since the day I got born again, I, I believe God's my healer. And so I've not been trained in doubt and unbelief. So I called up a friend of mine who, who attends the First Church of Doubt and Unbelief. And I said, so tell me why you guys don't believe in healing. Because, see, to me, it's so foreign to think that, that God doesn't heal. It's so, it's so like, uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. So, you know, I wanted to, to get a, a, an expert at doubt and unbelief to tell me what, and so they said, well, you know, because of this, this, and, it, and it's all these same things that, that uh, Dr. McCrossan is telling us about. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, it just, it doesn't make any walking around sense. But see, uh, to them, it's like, oh, yeah, that's exactly right. It's a spiritual, it's spiritual healing. But based on what? What verse do you have? Because he says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So do you have two or three verses that back up your concept of spiritual healing? In fact, even as there's no such thing as spiritual healing anyway, right? Uh, You have physical healing, your mind gets renewed, and your spirit gets born again. That's the three aspects of humanity. And the only healing that is, is present is in your physical body. So your mind doesn't get healed. People that well, I need, I'm, I'm, I need my soul healed, right? Uh, and of course, I know the, the, uh, he does talk about healing the brokenhearted, but that's another whole discussion for today. Uh, and so, uh, so my friend that, uh, and I wasn't trying to be disrespectful because, you know, I just tell him, oh, you go to the church first. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. And he's trying to help them. Or sometimes the Lord will put people in there to try to help other folks. Uh, and that's fine, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so he told me a few of the reasons and a lot of these things are what Dr. McCrossan ha- has come across. And so uh, he said in his time, uh, he was reading after some of these other Bible teachers, and he said, uh, they said that present time healing of a sick body does not redeem it from destruction. And so, so therefore, so when, when uh, Psalm 103 verse 4 said that your life is, is redeemed from destruction, they said, well, healing doesn't do that. Well, of course it does do that. Of course it does that, right? I mean, but they're saying it doesn't do that. Well, well, why are they saying that? Because they don't want to believe, right? They don't want to have faith. They don't want to be responsible to believe. Uh, and so they'll just say things, and they say like, well, this is true. This is a true statement. But they don't have anything to back up that it's a true statement. Uh, and, so, and, and so, you know, when people say things, uh, it doesn't matter who says it. You should always know if they're saying something that's not a quote from a scripture, you should know what's the scriptural foundation for what they just said. So if some people says things, you know, uh, part of the problem when I, I was, uh, not, not recently, but many years ago, I was studying after some um, end time event ministers who, you know, like give you some uh, description of, of the book of Revelation, for example. And there'll be some, you know, uh, the ten horns of, of Babylon. They say, well, this is talking about, you know, Greek, Greece or something. And they would just say that like it's a fact. And I'm like, well, but based on what? Where did you get that from? And they may have had a reason for it, but see, they didn't, they didn't explain it in a book. So if I was going to write a book like that, and, I, and I, I, you know, did my research and found out that it was, you know, talking about the nation of Greece or the nation of Rome or whatever, I'd, I'd say, well, here's why, based on this verse and this verse and this verse. But, uh, but a lot of times, especially when you get into end time events, people would say, well, this means this. Well, based on what? And so I, I have a hard time with a lot of the, uh, and th- not that there's not anybody out there but, uh, that, that doesn't do that, uh, but I haven't found an, uh, an author that I re- really like, about, especially about end-time events, because they'll just make statements that, are, uh, that uh, they claim are factual, but they don't have any scriptural basis for that, or they don't give you what, they're, uh, what they may think is scriptural basis for that. And from my perspective, if it's not based upon the Word of God, it's just hearsay. I mean, it, it may, uh, and it may sound good, and it's fine, and I have a problem with that, but if you don't have a scriptural basis for that, to me, it's it, it just it, it's not that important to me, uh, because I can't have faith in your concept. 
right? If you have a concept of what this means, that's great. I, don't, I can't have faith in that. I can only have faith in what the Word of God says. Uh, and so I have no faith in people, uh, no faith in teachers. I have no faith in, in, doc, in, in Brother Hagen or Dr. McCrossan. I got no faith in these people at all. But if they say something and here's what the Word says, I've got faith in that. And, and if they're explaining to me what the Word says and it makes sense, then I can have faith in that. But I can't have faith in just, well, uh, present time healing of a sick body does not redeem it from destruction. Okay, they made that statement, but based on what? See, all they're saying is that verse isn't true. And when, and when someone says that verse isn't true, I got to know, you got to explain to me why that verse isn't true, right? Like, you know, uh, I've got to go kill a bull and go, uh, bulls and goats to, to uh, get forgiveness. Okay, that's not true anymore because the blood of Jesus uh, overcame and is a much better sacrifice than the blood of bulls and goats. Okay, that makes sense, right? So I don't have to kill blood, uh, bulls and goats today because I can give you all kinds of scriptures in the book of Hebrews and, and the, the prophecies of Jesus being the, the perfect lamb of God and, and you go into you know, the, the kinsman redeemer and you can, you, can, you can spend all day long explaining why that's not true today. Okay, that's fine. I've got, you give me biblical proof. But when you say, just make a statement that that verse 4, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, present time healing of a sick body does not redeem it from destruction, but healing the, the life or soul of the sin, disease, death, does redeem both body and soul from destruction through the resurrection. So, they, so what they're saying is that in order for your life to be redeemed from destruction, that will only occur completely at the resurrection. Well, that's convenient because uh, where are we going to be when the resurrection occurs? At the end of time. So between now and then, are we at the resurrection today? No. So for, so for today, you're stuck. But someday you'll be redeemed. Your life, your life will be redeemed from destruction. Well, that's all great, but that doesn't do me any good. If, uh, and that's what a lot of people do. Is they push everything, uh, no faith today, but they push everything, that everything will be good at the resurrection. Between now and then, life is hard. You know, hang on the best you can because, you know, you just never know. But someday you'll get resurrected, get a resurrected body, and then the Lord will redeem your life from destruction. But that, you know, that doesn't make any sense because, first of all, the word redeem, uh, uh, the word redeem, it's a, it's a business word. It's a transactional word. It means something was purchased out of the marketplace. So your life, your, the destruction, your life was purchased. Somebody paid a price to purchase your life out of destruction. Okay, well, that makes sense. Well, who paid the price? Jesus, what was the price? It was his blood, right? Uh, he, he paid, he purchased our life with his blood. He purchased our, uh, our freedom from destruction with his, with his blood. He said, uh, back in verse 4, who redeemeth or purchased our life. Okay, well, when did the purchase take place? At the cross, right? Well, that, see, that makes sense. So there's no way it makes sense to say with well, this, this purchasing only occurs at the resurrection. Well, there's no transaction at the resurrection. It's just the fulfillment of the transaction that was actually started at the cross. And so, well, we know that someday we get a glorified body. We don't have a glorified body yet, but someday we do. The price for the glorified body has already been paid for, though, at the cross. We immediately get a, a new spirit when we get born again. And so that was paid for at the cross. We couldn't get a new spirit unless it was paid for at the cross. And so... <clears throat> When you, when you review even their statement that present time healing of a sick body does not redeem it from destruction. Well, the, the, the healing is not the redemption. The healing is the result of the redemption. <laughs> the Lord just really emphasized that point right there, right? Uh, and so, uh, it's a pause for dramatic effect, right? And the thunder rolls, you know, that's... Uh, 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 the Lord uh, the likes to emphasize certain things, right? If they didn't hear it on the video, there was a big thunderclap there right at that perfect timing there, right? So <clears throat> it was impressive, right? Uh, and so, <clears throat> uh, so the, the, the healing of our bodies uh, is, is the result of the redemption, right? But, he, but the writer there is saying that the, that the healing of a body does not redeem it from destruction. And in one sense, because he doesn't know what he's talking about, is a true statement. Because it's, the healing is not the redemption. The healing is a result of the redemption, right? Uh, the, the price was paid at the cross, and a benefit of that price being paid is now we get, we get redeemed, right? 
Yeah, but see, this was, this was an Old Testament promise. This was value, uh, uh, available in the Old Covenant, right? When they, when they would go to the, uh, go to the uh, uh, yearly atonement and they make the sacrifice and they shed the blood of these animals, that blood redeemed them uh, from, their, from their, uh, their sickness and their sin. Amen? Uh, and so, uh, in, in this fellow's mind is, uh, you know, it, of course, you don't know what's going on in our minds, but a, a lot of us is driven by, uh, and, and some of these Christian people may have been Christians. A lot of these scholars were never Christians, right? Because they don't believe in salvation. Uh, but some of these scholars were Christians. But you think about uh, who's got the most to gain from telling a church that the supernatural doesn't occur anymore? The devil does, right? Well, well what's, what does the word antichrist mean? Well, what does the word Christ mean? The anointed one, right? So antichrist means against the anointed one or really against the anointing of God. And the anointing of God is the source of all supernatural ability in the church. And so uh, we know from the book of uh, 1 John that the, that the spirit of the antichrist is in the earth today or the spirit that, that's, that's against the move of the power of God is in the world today. So how many Christians are yielding to that antichrist spirit, not the antichrist, but the antichrist spirit, the spirit that's against the move of God, how many people in the church are yielding to that? Anytime you say that God doesn't heal, you have yielded to the spirit of the antichrist because you're against the move of God. And that's not saying you're the antichrist because you're not. You may die and go to heaven. I hope you do, right? Uh, but if you're, if, you're, uh, if you're yielding to that spirit, and, you know, Christians can yield to, to demonic spirits all the time, right? They're not possessed, right? They're not possessed of the devil. But if the, if the spirit of the Antichrist comes to you and said, God doesn't heal because, you know, Sister Doodad, she wasn't healed. And you go, yeah, you're right. God doesn't heal. And, and we need some, some sophisticated intellectual statements that prove that case. And so we'll say something like present time healing of a sick body doesn't redeem it from destruction. That only occurs at the resurrection. And you'll be like, what are you talking about? You know, that makes no sense, right? Doesn't make any walking around sense. But because you, you shroud it in all these $64 words and make it sound intellectual, then sometimes it'll cause regular people to, oh, well, I, I just must not be smart enough to be able to, you know, respond to that. Well, you don't have to be smart, smart to respond to it. You say, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Because if it doesn't make any sense, it's the dumbest thing you've ever heard, right? True faith and true uh, wisdom from heaven, it always makes perfect sense. God wants to heal you every single time, no exceptions. Does that make sense? Yes. Makes perfect sense. Is that easy to understand? Super easy to understand, right? But when God doesn't want to uh, take care of you now, he, but he wants to take care of you in the resurrection, you know, well, why am I here? If I have to suffer from now until the resurrection, then bring on the resurrection. And if the Lord brings on the resurrection, that means that, that he's going to come back, and all the people that haven't accepted the Lord Jesus now are stuck. I, I never pray, Lord, come quickly. I always say, Lord, delay as long as you possibly can. And so... Um, <clears throat> These folks there are trying to push the, uh, the healing out to the resurrection. And of course, you know, in one sense, that's perfect healing, right? I mean, some, some saints of God that we know will die sick. It's unfortunate they shouldn't have to, but some of them do, amen? And do they receive perfect healing at that point in time? They do, right? I don't like to say it that way because to me it's kind of a, uh, I mean, it's kind of, it's fine in a way, but I just, I'm not a fan of saying that because it, it, it's almost saying, well, you can't really get it now, but, you know, you'll eventually get it then. And, and I mean, it's true in a sense, but I prefer to live in the faith of today. God will heal me today. Yeah. And when I get a glorified body, then, then, I, then a lot of things will be taken care of that, that I'm thankful for. Uh, but between now and then, I can live a life of divine health. Uh, and so um, he, he goes on from there uh, and... Um, of course, this section is called Division One, Reason One, but then he says he's got three reasons why that statement there from Psalm 103, verse 4 is wrong. Uh, and, of course, we're out of time today for that, uh, but then he goes into uh, explaining why that's not wrong. That's wrong. And so he goes through scriptures proving this, right? Uh, and, he, and he starts talking about uh, the Septuagint again. We, we did have a discussion a while back about what is the Septuagint, and, uh, and I think just real quick, we'll just mention it again just so we, so we remember. So he does talk a lot about this. And so, uh, you know, traditionally when we say what language was the Old Testament written in, what language was it written in? It's written in Hebrew, right? 
There's a little bit of other, uh, other languages there, like Aramaic in there. But for the most part, the Old Covenant was written, Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek. Because all, uh, all the people who wrote the New Testament uh, lived in a Greek-speaking world, right? In, in Rome, uh, in the Roman Empire, where, which is where all the disciples were at, uh, the Roman Empire spoke Greek. So that's why the New Testament is written in Greek. Uh, and so, but about uh, 2,300 years ago, um, they, they uh, wrote, they had, uh, uh, they had um, some Hebrew scholars, and, and of course some of it is a bit uh, of a legend, uh, but the legend was that they got 72 Hebrew scholars together, 12 from, uh, or 6 from every tribe of Israel, together to translate the Hebrew Bible into the Greek language. Uh, and so when they did that, then the result of that was what they call the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament, but it's written in Greek. Uh, and so it's been around for 2,300 years, so it was written about 300 B.C. Uh, in, in Alexandria. And is that exactly true? Well, you know, uh, from what they, can, what they can discover appears to be true. But, you, of course, were we there? We weren't there, so. Uh, so but why, why does that matter? Well, it, it's... It's like anything, you know, uh, how many translations of the Bible are there? In the English language, there's about 1,500 translations of the Bible. So if you look at the whole world, there's basically a translation of the Bible in nearly every spoken language in the earth because you got people like the, 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 the Wycliffe group that goes around the world and, and uh, translates the Bible, usually the New Testament, into native languages, right? And, and sometimes... Some of these tribes they go to don't even have a written language. They only have a spoken language, so they have to develop a written language for the tribe so that they can then have a, a, the Word of God in their native language. So there's uh, probably 2,000 or 3,000 translations of the Bible in, in languages all around the world. But in English, there's about 1,500 translations, uh, and there's more every day, right? I mean, somebody's coming up with a new translation every day. Uh, in fact, uh, I know Rick Renner is working on a translation of the New, new Testament. Uh, and it'll, it'll be about, um, I don't know, six or 7,000 pages long when he gets done with it, right? Because uh, Rick, Rick, Rick is not, um, uh, well, I don't want to be unkind uh, because he, uh, uh, it'll be a good translation, right? Uh, but it won't be concise. <laughs> so, uh, but um, it'll be a good translation when he gets done with it. <clears throat> and so, um, so this translation, the thing, the thing that this translation helps us, well, well how much closer were they 2,300 years ago than we are today to the Hebrew language? Well, they were a lot closer than we are, right? And so they could probably find uh, some people still speaking the Hebrew language, some scholars of the Hebrew language that didn't exist today because you know, for a long time, the Hebrew language was essentially dead. It was like the Latin language uh, that nobody was speaking it because uh, Israel got dispersed uh, in, through the Babylonian exile and different things, and, and a lot of them quit speaking Hebrew uh, and so when they wrote this uh, Hebrew translation into Greek, then uh, it helps us because uh, Hebrew words that we didn't know that we look at today, and it may be the only time used in the Old Covenant, we may not really know what that means, but because we have the Septuagint that translated that same Hebrew word, we can have a, a certain level of confidence, okay, that's what that, what that uh, word means. So there is value in that particular, uh, in that particular uh, translation called the Septuagint, which again is the Greek version of the Old Covenant. Uh, and so, but why do we care? Well, we care because we study the Word and we want as much information about the Word as we can get. Uh, and uh, even though we've got all these great translations, there, there's, no, there's no translation that will ever be perfect. The King James is not perfect, right? So, although some people believe that it is, it's not perfect. And they go all the reasons why. And they have wars about which, which fundamental Greek uh, uh, document you should use or manuscript you should use. And war, wars are fought. Oh, this guy is a complete heathen. Oh, this guy, you know, he, he, God spoke to him, you know, divine. It's like, whatever, you know. Uh, and so, uh, I, to me, I, don't, I, re, I really don't care about all those wars, right? Uh, I, because if you look at enough translations, you kind of figure out, okay, this is what this means, right? Uh, and so, so this, this translation helps us because uh, it gives them insight. If we can find the same Greek word used in the Old Covenant as used in the New Covenant, then it's going to have the same meaning as, essentially, right? Because the Greek language is, is pretty static in that, in that regards. So you can use some information from the Old Covenant written in Greek 
and see how that follows through the New Testament. And you can see how these Greek words were used, and that helps us, amen? So do you have to be an expert at Greek to know this? No, that's why we read his book, right? I'm not going to write this book. He's going to write this book. And then, then I'm going to read his book. And so he does all the hard work for me, and, and so that's why we study after things like this. And so he, so he does go through and starts out with looking at the word disease and follows that through the Old Covenant to the New Covenant and, and uh, gives some insight into that. So we'll look at that when we come back next week. And uh, this is healing school, right? So we get to learn a few things. And, and um, am I going to make you a, a Greek or Hebrew scholar? I'm not a Greek or Hebrew scholar, so it's going to be hard for me to make you one. Amen? Uh, so, uh, but see, you don't have to be one because even, even what he does say, he's just saying, here's what the word says. And you can follow what he says and, and look up the scriptures for yourself and see that he's talking about the right thing. And so we'll pick that up next week. Uh, if you're interested and really want to know about this, um, the, the, of course, you can get this several different ways. Uh, the, one, the one translation that I use as far as the Old Testament Greek translation, uh, there's one called the Apostolic Bible Polyglot. It's P-O-L-Y-G-L-O-T. Uh, and, um, and all they did was took uh, the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, and they translated that into English. So instead of going from Hebrew to English, they went from Greek to English. And, and you can look that up, right? You can go online and look up the Apostolic Bible Polyglot. Uh, the abbreviation is A-B-P. Um, and if you want to, you can pull up a verse and it'll show you what uh, the Greek Old Testament says and how that translates into the New Testament. Uh, and then you can see which Greek words were used. So a lot of times it's helpful to know well, what Greek word was behind that English word. And so you can look up that particular translation. There's several of them out there, but that's the one that I've used over the years, and it's a pretty good one. Um, they took the Septuagint and translated it into English for our benefit. I'm glad they did that, so I don't have to do it. Amen. Uh, and so... Uh, if you need more than that, you can let me know, and I can get you, uh, you know, a few more if you really uh, need more proof than that. Uh, but um, anyway, so and, and that's what I've used to when when Doctor McCrossin says, well, this word was used eight times in the Old Covenant in the Greek, then I go and confirm that because just because he says it, I don't believe it. I go confirm for myself, right? And so, and I was able to confirm really most. So how would he know that? Because a hundred years ago, he didn't have a computer. You know, he had to read the whole thing to find out these things. Amen. That was a lot of work. Uh, I mean, now I have to spend like, like seconds to confirm this is true or not, right? I mean, I've spent like maybe 30, 40 seconds to confirm this is true. It was exhausting. Uh, and so, you know, he spent half his life proving these things. Amen. And so we're thankful that, they, that these great men of old spent this time doing this for our benefit. Amen. Uh, and so we'll pick that up again. We're not going to try to get, become scholars in these things, but it, it's not, it doesn't hurt to tell you guys some of these things because they're, they're study guides, right? They're uh, things that help us study the Word of God. Uh, if you never look at it, won't be a problem, amen? Mm-hmm. And so it's okay because you just read the Word of God in, in the English uh, and, and be happy with that, amen? Uh, and so let's pray and thank the Lord for His Word today. So Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Father, uh, for the scholars that You've anointed over the years to assist us in learning Your Word. And so Father, we thank You that uh, we can... Uh, take advantage of what you've helped them learn, what you've taught them, Father. The gifts that, they, that you've given to them can be a blessing to us today. And we thank you for that, Father. We give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, and so, um, you know, uh, I think we've talked a little bit up here about some folks that have said that, that we are wrong using a, a book to study by, right? That uh, we shouldn't use other people's books to study uh, when we study the Word of God. So if that's true, which of course it's, it's ridiculous, but if that's true, um, then that means I have to be a Greek or Hebrew scholar, right? And I don't have time to do that, you know? I, somebody else has spent time doing that, and so, uh, and it's just foolishness like that, right? People have foolish things that they say, uh, and, and it just doesn't make any sense because God anointed this man with the skill and ability to do this and write this material for us and what, what took him probably uh, dozens of years of his life to put together, I can read it in an hour or two and, and absorb what it took him many years to, to confirm from the Word of God. And so why, would I, why should I spend that much time? That doesn't make any sense, right? But of course, you know, uh, stupid people don't make sense for the most part, right? And so uh, it's... Uh, anyway, the Lord is good, amen? So we'll pick this up next week, continue on here, uh, and um, look at uh, what Dr. McCrosser said about the three reasons why... 
uh, what that person said about Psalm 103, verse 4, is not correct, uh, right? That God pushed healing only into the resurrection. Uh, and so and he gives us book, chapter, and verse, why that's true, right? That's why that statement is false, and what's the truth of that, amen? So be blessed, have a wonderful week, and uh, we'll see you. Oh, we're going to receive an offering, don't we, right? All right, praise God. Chris is waving money at me, you know, so take my money. All right, well, let's get ready to receive this afternoon's offering, and um, we'll continue this next week. And, 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 you know, I have actually enjoyed this book there. I was a little concerned to be a little bit too much, but it's actually been a pretty good book, hasn't it? Amen. So come ahead, Mr. Jared, receive the offering. <clears throat> and, um, you know, when we get done, you can say, hey, we studied uh, bodily healing in the atoma by Dr. T.J. McCrossan. That'll give you some good street cred, you know, if anybody even knows what you're talking about. If they do, they'll know that's impressive, right? They'll be impressed with that. So, and that's the only reason why we study this, right? So people can be impressed with us. <laughs> no, we study it because we want the faith that, that, that this will provide us. Amen. It's good to have a strong and good foundation of faith in what the Word says. Uh, all right, praise God. Well, you can be dismissed. We'll see you next Sunday.